turn closer to our celebration of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have your Bibles with you this morning? Good. You need to turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to start today. It's not where we'll stay, but it's where we'll start. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at important Christmas themes for Advent uh, as we anticipate this celebration of the Incarnation on Christmas Day. It's important that we see Him as the Lord Jesus Christ as the center, the source, and the focus of all of these themes. On the first week of Advent, we talked about how Jesus brought peace between us and God by His death, burial, and resurrection. We talked also about how Jesus brings us into peace with one another as our focus on him eclipses all of the things that would separate us. Then we talked about hope, hope as a certain expectation of that which is sure, or a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. We saw the Old Testament posture of hope in the Messiah who would come. We saw Jesus as the fulfillment of that Old Testament hope. We talked about Jesus as the foundation and focus of our hope. And then we talked about how the hope of future glory for those who trust in Christ, is the key to our endurance. In other words, we said the certainty of that day with all of its glory helps us persevere on this day with all of its pain. And this week we're going to talk about joy. And as we do, I want you to ponder these things all together over the next week. And I want, you, I want to encourage you to see how these themes are all connected. How peace with God through Jesus gives us hope for the future which allows us to live in the present with remarkable joy. And I'll go ahead and give you a little hint. Next week, the last week of Advent, we'll talk about love. And there's a good connection between all, of, all three of those things and love. As we get started today, uh, we need to have a good definition of joy as we talk about joy. And I think these videos help with that, help give us kind of a biblical framework for the themes that we're talking about. I have an old Bible dictionary in my office that is called the New Bible Dictionary. Uh, it's hilarious. It's one of the oldest books I have in my library, and it's called the New Bible Dictionary. Um, it defines joy this way. Joy is a quality grounded upon God himself and indeed derived from him, which characterizes the Christian's life on earth and also anticipates eschatologically the joy of being with Christ forever in the kingdom of heaven. So, so you can see the elements of hope that are the foundation for this present joy. John Piper, who in many ways is the prophet of joy, if you read any of John Piper, you know that he talks about joy a ton, he defines joy like this. He says, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. This deep root of joy is what I want you to see from Piper in his definition. In his definition. Now, when we talk about joy, we talk about oftentimes the difference between joy and happiness. When we seek to define it, especially within the Christian context, we try to say that there's a radical difference between happiness and joy and that the two things never overlap. And I don't want to chase that rabbit today, but I do want to be abundantly clear that when we talk about joy today, we are not talking about a mere emotion that is determined by or ruled by our circumstance. All right, so when we're talking about joy, we're not talking about mere emotion that is determined by or ruled by our circumstances. When we talk about joy, it is steadier than that. It is heartier than that. Indeed, what we will see today from God's word is that it is possible, even expected of the followers of Christ, 
that we can be joyful even in the midst of painful circumstances. And this joy that we're talking about today is not some kind of attitude that says, well, God can take the lemons of this life and turn it into lemonade. What we're talking about today when we talk about joy is much deeper and more profound than than that. And it is linked with the hope that we talked about last week. Right off the bat, I want you to consider Hebrews chapter 12. And I want you to see the interplay between hope and joy in the life of Jesus, according to the author of Hebrews. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 on the screen. Don't turn there. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Listen to this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame. So there is a link between hope and joy and perseverance, and that's what we want to see today from God's word. So here's the plan for today. Three parts of the sermon today. First, we're going to see Christ as the source of our joy. Secondly, we're going to see a demonstration of what what I'll call logical joy as the Magi face Jesus. And then we'll see a scene which describes what I will call illogical joy. And that is when the early church faces persecution. So Jesus as the source of joy, logical joy in the Magi, and illogical joy in the persecuted church. Let's start with Christ as the source of our joy. Look at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read a ton with you, to you today, from God's Word. And we're going to start in Luke chapter 2. Now, what we are wanting to see and look at closely is verses 10 and 11. But I'm going to read from verse 1 through verse 20. Because it's Christmas time. And it doesn't get much better than this right here, right? This is what God's Word says. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in their fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. 
When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Let's pray together. (laughs) Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for good news. The good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. We thank you for the joy the gospel brings to those of us who've been redeemed. We thank you for seasons of our lives that are marked by logical joy. Thank you for seasons in which we can have a joy that is illogical. A joy that runs counter to circumstances. A joy in the midst of the darkness. Father, I know that for many in this room, that's the season they find themselves in now season of darkness and pain, pray that through the gospel, you will give them joy, not mere superficial emotional happiness, but deep-rooted joy in Christ. And I pray that you give this by your grace and ultimately for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. So like I said, we're going to spend our time in Luke chapter 2 on verses 10 and 11, but I wanted you to hear it all because uh, I, I, think, I think we can't hear it enough, right? We can't hear this story enough, especially this time of year. And I had an experience a couple weeks ago at jail ministry that was, it was a few weeks ago right after Thanksgiving, and uh, it was our last jail ministry of the year, and so I made it Christmas, Christmas Day at, at jail ministry, and I read this same passage And I asked the guys if they'd heard that before. And there were multiple men in the Saline County Jail that said they had never heard that before. They had never heard someone read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20 to them in their lives. It was totally unfamiliar to them. And I was amazed and uh, glad that I had the opportunity to at least expose them to the story of Jesus' birth. So I don't want to take it for granted that people even here have heard this. Um, So we we will read God's word. We will read the Christmas story as often as we can. I want us to spend our time focusing on verses 10 and 11, when it says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This angel first says to the shepherds, Don't be afraid. And it seems like that's what angels have to say every time they have an encounter with a human, right? That their first word is often, don't be afraid. It seems like every time people have an encounter with an angel, they are absolutely terrified. And therefore, I think it's safe to say that these things, these angels, are not chubby, smiling, diapered critters with either a bow or a harp flying around. Like that's the picture we see in modern art, at least. No, these things are likely mighty warriors, Warriors of light with great power and a magnificent presence that causes the people who have encounters with them to be terrified. And what I want you to see right off the bat here is that this reaction of fear, this reaction of terror on the part of the shepherds is the exact opposite of the joy that this night is truly bringing. The, the, the angel didn't show up to the shepherds to scare them. He showed up to deliver them good news of great joy for all the people, right? 
And so we want this season to be not a season of terror or fear, but a season of joy. The angel says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. Now, there is some real richness to the word that is used here. The angel uh, says that he brings good news. Now, one part of that word is the, the idea of good news. It's the same word that's translated other places in the Bible as gospel. And specifically, technically, the gospel is the message of Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection. In other words, his payment for sin and his victory over death and the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God that comes to those who trust in Jesus by God's grace. Right? That's, that's what the gospel is. And the angel says, now I bring you good news. And, and he's not saying here that he's going to articulate all of that, but rather he is introducing the one who will accomplish all of that. The angel is introducing the very focus of the gospel to these shepherds. And this, generally speaking, is good news. That's why the angel says, I've got good news for you. The one who will die for your sins, the one who will be buried, and the one who will rise again, the one who will save you, has been born today in the city of David. Right? This is good news. And this good news brings great joy. He says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. In fact, if you read this in the original language, you would say, I bring you mega joy. Mega joy is what the angel brings to the shepherds that night. The news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection does bring great joy to those who hear it and to those who respond to this good news in repentance and faith. There is nothing better than eternal life, right? There's nothing better than reconciliation to God, right? There's nothing better than forgiveness of sins, right? There's nothing better than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the gospel is the source of our great joy. In fact, when Piper defines the gospel, he includes joy as the ultimate outcome. And this is a theme. I'm telling you, Piper is the prophet of joy because everything he talks about in the gospel is linked to our joy. Look at how Piper defines the gospel on the screen. He says, the gospel is the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins and rose again, eternally triumphant over all his enemies so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. And that's the truth, right? And the angel says that to the shepherds. He says, behold, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. And that's what the gospel produces in those who have been saved by God's grace. It produces joy in us. It gives us joy. He says, good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For all the people. The shepherds are a great example of this good news of great joy going to all the people. The fact that this good news of great joy came first to the shepherds is absolutely astonishing. These guys in their culture were disrespected and they were minimized to the point that a shepherd's testimony in a court of law was inadmissible. They weren't to be trusted. They were the guys that, that folks kept away from. They kept at some distance. They were always dirty. They were always stinky. They were always out somewhere and weren't really known to the community necessarily. And so the fact that the angel appears first to these lowly shepherds, when we sing about lowly shepherds, that's good, that's good theology. The fact that the angel declares the birth of the Messiah, the hope for the world first to these shepherds, shows that this is good news of great joy for all people. And it is good news of great joy for all people. Not just certain kinds of people, but all kinds of people. Aren't you thankful for that? 
because we're more like the shepherds than probably anybody else in the story, right? We are those lowly ones to whom the good news of great joy has come. He says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For unto you this day in the city of David has been born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, a few, uh, well, it was last Sunday night, right? Josh, when he was talking through his part of Behold the Lamb, said that first, the Christmas story is an indictment and then a deliverance. And I don't know if you picked up on that, but that was, that was brilliant. Because so much of what is going on in the announcement of the Savior is an indictment on mankind. For unto you has been born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And you need Him. You need a Savior. The implication of that is you you are in such a mess in your sins that you need someone to come down and rescue you. And the one who can rescue you, the one who will rescue you, He's been born today in the city of David. A Savior for you. So let's not miss that. We need a Savior. All of us in this room need a Savior because of our sinfulness, because of God's righteousness. We need one who can rescue us. We need one who can reconcile us to God, and his name is Jesus. He's the only one, our Savior. The only Savior is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is the Savior, and we need saving. Now, all of this message from from the angel to the shepherds makes me think of a statement that Carl F.H. Henry said one time, it's pretty profound, he said this, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. The angel says, don't be afraid, I've got good news of great joy that will be for all the people the Savior has been born, right? And Carl F.H. Henry says, it's only good news if it gets there in time. Did you know that today there are over 3 billion, with a B, 3 billion people on the planet that have little or no access to this good news. Little or no access to the gospel message. That is over 40% of the earth's population. Not 40% of the earth's population that just don't believe, but 40% of the earth's population that have never heard and really don't have the opportunity to hear. They will, if nothing changes, live and die without ever knowing this good news of great joy That is for all people, without ever hearing that a Savior has been born, who is Christ the Lord. The good news, it's only good news if it gets there on time. So I want to point this out to you and use this as an opportunity to once again encourage you to give big to Lottie Moon. Because the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is enabling, energizing, mobilizing People to go to those darkest places, to go to that 40% of the earth's population that doesn't have access to the gospel and, and proclaim, to say like the angel to the shepherds, listen, I've got good news, great joy for all kinds of people. There's a Savior and His name is Christ, the Lord. So I want to encourage you to give big time to Lottie Moon, to make a difference in those statistics. And I want to let you know that there seems to be right now an unprecedented season of opportunity for people to go. Like, not just to go for a week somewhere dark, but to go for a career, to go for the rest of your life. Is this fair to say? That, that for some reason, currently, there is a wide open door for career workers to go to the nations. 
So maybe, just maybe, this Christmas, God is calling you uh, not to give to Lottie Moon and not just to pray for workers in dark places, but to say, here I am, Lord, send me. I will go. I will go to the three billion people who don't have access. Maybe that is your response to Christmas this year. And I'm telling you, if God is stirring that in your heart, let me encourage that by saying there is a greater opportunity to go right now than there has been in the past. So submit to the Lord and follow him. The gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. And we want to get it there in time, right? So first section of the lesson from uh, Luke chapter 2 is Christ is our source of joy. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Second thing I want you to see today is, is a scene of logical joy. And this is more Christmas story. So I'm going to read more Christmas story to you today from Matthew chapter 2. So if you want to turn in your Bible there, that would be a good idea. Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. Because I think what we see as the Magi come face to face with Jesus is a reaction of logical joy. They rejoice, and it makes total sense that they would be rejoicing. Look what it says in God's Word, Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. He was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go. And search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star, which, had, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now, in many ways, this scene in Matthew chapter 2 is similar to the scene in Luke chapter 2, though it happens much later. I want to clarify that in your nativity scenes that, that you have set up over wherever, on your television or wherever. The Magi were probably not there at the same time as the shepherds. Shepherds get there the night of. Magi appear sometime later. But they have an encounter with the child, just like the shepherds did. But these guys are not poor shepherds, lowly shepherds. No, these guys are prominent leaders. But they're from a foreign land. And they were likely pagan leaders. And so this is yet another example of how this good news of great joy is for all kinds of people. It's for lowly shepherds. And it's for pagan magi who come and have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice their response to their encounter with the Christ child. 
You know, and when we saw the shepherds, it said mega joy, right? Good news of mega joy. Well, that same phrase is used here, only it's big time mega joy. They rejoice exceedingly with great joy. When they saw the star stop over the place where Jesus was. They hadn't even seen Jesus yet. And they're already like completely coming apart with joy over the fact that finally, there it is. Like we're, we're almost there. The star has stopped. Now we know we're the child that we've been looking for, that we've traveled hundreds of miles. We've traveled for weeks or months to get here. And now right there he is. And even at the anticipation of an encounter with the child, they rejoice exceedingly with great joy. Big time, mega joy is what's going on in their hearts. And then when they see him, notice what happens. First, they fall down. They fall down on their faces and they worship him. Then they give gifts to him. And then they get up and they go home. And, and my speculation is they get up and go home, no doubt telling the story of what they had seen, right? They didn't just travel all this way and meet the newborn king and then go back and keep it all a secret. No, I've got to think they went back telling the story just like the shepherds did because you don't have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and not talk about it later. So this scene in Matthew chapter 2 makes sense, right? These guys have traveled so far, and now they have an encounter with Jesus, and they rejoice over that encounter. And I'm wondering how many of you find yourself in a similar situation right now, or have found yourself in a similar situation where there's logical joy. Like, the, it makes sense that you are rejoicing. Maybe you had this at your conversion. Maybe when you realized the depth of your sin and the depth of God's holiness, and you saw for the first time Christ dying for you, not just generally for the world, not just generally for sins, but you recognize that Jesus died in your place. When you repented of your sins and trusted in Christ for the first time, maybe that is the day that, that joy, joy came into your life. And you experienced it for the first time. Maybe you've experienced this kind of logical joy at a camp or a conference where you had a special encounter with the Lord through the preaching of his word and through the singing of his praises. Or maybe you have that joy at Christmas time every year. Maybe for you, Christmas time every year is a time of great joy and gladness and happiness deep in your soul. Maybe you experience that at Easter time, right? Maybe there are seasons of your life where your life is marked by joy and, and, and it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Of course, they would be joyful. Of course, they would be happy. Or maybe it happens when you have experiences where everything comes together, just like you had hoped, in a relationship, at work, at school. In other words, we all have experiences like the Magi here where it makes sense that we would be full of joy. And when we have those times, we should rejoice, right? When we encounter those seasons where logical joy is on the table, we should not be ashamed to rejoice. We should not say, oh, this is, this is too good to be true. I better be reserved here. I better hold some things back. No, no, no. Rejoice. When it's illogical to be full of joy, then spend some big time rejoicing, right? But there are other seasons of our life where joy is illogical. So I want you to see the next scene contrasted with the scene of the Magi. The Magi show up and they have finally seen what they hope to, hope to see and their response is logical joy. But in Acts chapter 5, we see a different scene. Joy, but illogical joy. In fact, turn to Acts chapter 5. This will be the last passage we go to. Acts chapter 5. And as you're turning there, I'll tell you a little bit of the story, so I don't have to read 47 verses to you in this section. In Acts chapter 5, some amazing things are happening at the hands of the apostles. 
They are healing people. Like there's a scene where people are bringing sick folks out in the street and they're getting healed. And they are preaching the gospel with boldness and with confidence. And as a result, the apostles get thrown into jail. As a result of their work, the good work that they are doing, that God is doing through them, they get themselves in trouble and they get thrown in jail. But an angel of the Lord opens the door to the jail and lets them out and tells them to go right back to the temple and continue to preach. And so that is what they do. The leading authorities, the the religious authorities and others, absolutely freak out when they realize that these men are loose once again, and worse yet, they are preaching once again. And they gather them up and they say, I thought we told you to stop preaching. Peter, speaking on behalf of the whole group, says, we've got to obey God, not you. He told us to preach. The angel came, let us out, told us to preach. We're going to go preach and not necessarily listen to you. And then... He preached to them. So, so as these authorities are threatening them, Peter not only says we must preach because we must obey God, but he seizes the opportunity to preach the gospel to these guys, and they are outraged at this point. They're like grinding their teeth, and they're ready to kill them. And one of the leaders of, of the religious folks stands up and says, listen, slow, slow down here, guys. Slow down here, guys. We've seen this kind of stuff before. Other folks have risen up and they've talked about a Messiah and it's proven to be wrong. And if this is not from God, if this movement is not from God, it'll go away. But then this guy with great wisdom says, but if it is of God, we won't be able to stop it. And if we fight against it, we will be fighting against God himself. And that's where I want you to pick up the story in verse 40. Acts chapter 5, verse 40. This wise leader just said, if it's from God, we won't be able to stop it. And in verse 40, it says, they took his advice, Gamaliel, they took his advice, and after calling the apostles, they flogged them. Do you know what that means? They beat them, like severely beat them, and then ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them. This has been quite a day, right? Preaching, locked up, angel set you free, preached some more, gathered back up, griped at by the leaders, set free again after getting beaten. In verse 41, it says, So they went on their way from the presence of the council, those religious leaders, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. The scene with the Magi rejoicing makes perfect sense. They have just seen what they wanted to see. The scene with the angel declaring the birth of Jesus, it makes sense that they would rejoice, right? The Messiah has come. These guys rejoicing makes absolutely no logical sense, right? That means they've got to have joy that goes far deeper than the mere circumstances that they face. They've just been beaten and told to be quiet, and they go on their way rejoicing. This is not logical. They had no external reason for this rejoicing, yet in spite of their painful circumstances, they could fix their eyes on Jesus and rejoice. This is rooted deeply in Jesus. This joy is rooted deeply in Jesus and not in circumstances. Some of you have experienced that recently. Nothing that we can observe in the circumstances of your life would cause you to rejoice, and yet you rejoice. 
Because your joy is rooted deeply in Jesus who never changes. Paul says it this way in Philippians 4, which is written from prison, and yet uses the word joy or rejoice more than any other book of the Bible. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. And again, I'll say it, rejoice. Like, I love the last part of that, because the first part is astonishing, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. But then it's like, no, I'm serious. <laughs> no, really. Again, I say rejoice. And Christians, th- those of us who have been redeemed by God's grace, those, those of us who have had a hearts of stone ripped out and a heart of flesh implanted, those of us who have been raised from the dead by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we have cause to rejoice no matter the circumstances. Because of Jesus Christ. Because of hope. Because of peace that has been brought through the blood of the, of the Lord on the cross. So three applications today from these three texts. Number one, Jesus is good news of great joy for all people. Jesus is good news of great joy for all people. Jesus is good news of great joy for you. For you today. Jesus is good news of great joy. And so I'm inviting you today, never have, to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. To respond to the call of the gospel that would say, repent and believe. Repent and believe. Because listen, the truth is, you're a sinner and an enemy of God. And he is holy and righteous and must punish sin. You are not his friend apart from Jesus. You are his enemy. But he loves you. He loves you and sent his son to die in your place so that you could no longer be enemy, but friend and better than friend, child, son. And we receive this reconciliation as a gift, not not payment, not something we earn or work for, but we receive it as a free gift. That's what we call grace. And we receive it by faith, not by working, not by doing, not by striving, but by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is good news of great joy for all people, even you, today. And the best Christmas present ever would be salvation, would be forgiveness of sins and a relationship with with the Father through the Son. And it's available today. Repent and believe and be saved. Jesus is good news of great joy for all people, for you and for your neighbor. Therefore, proclaim the message of the gospel to your neighbors this Christmas. I was reading an article this week that, that I, I think shared a little bit of helpful advice as to how to do that at Christmas time in particular. This is a great season for us to be sharing the gospel with our neighbors and our coworkers. And this little article suggested that we do it by asking a simple question. What's your favorite Christmas song? People are, people are listening to Christmas music, right? You turn on the radio, it's Christmas music, no matter what. And so maybe just ask your neighbor, your coworker, your friend, hey, what's your favorite Christmas song? And maybe, just maybe, they will open the door wide up for you to walk through and preach the gospel from the song. Maybe they'll say, Grandma got run over by a reindeer, and it'll be a little more difficult. If they say, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, oh my goodness, did you see the theology? Did you notice the theology in that song? Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Oh man, there's tons 
of good ways to preach the gospel through favorite gospel songs. So maybe one of the ways we can talk about good news of great joy for our neighbors is to have a conversation with them about their favorite Christmas song. And if they give you Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, you use Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You're like, oh, that's, a, that's an interesting song. Let me tell you about my favorite song and why it's my favorite song. Now, you have to be familiar with some music to do this, but I thought that was a really helpful way for us to very uh, non-confrontationally share the good news of great joy. That's for all people, for our neighbors. Jesus is good news, great joy for all men, for you, for your neighbor, and for the nations. And we've talked about this. We will continue to talk about this. We want this to be part of the heartbeat of this local church is that we want to see the gospel taken where it's not being preached. And so I once again encourage you to give big to Lottie Moon or to go big to the nations. He's good news of great joy for all people. And right now, 40% of them don't have access. Nobody there preaching. Nobody saying, hey, I've got good news. Maybe that can be you. That's application number one. Jesus is good news of great joy for all people. Number two, when it's logical to rejoice, rejoice. We need that. I think we need that reminder. When it's logical to rejoice, rejoice. And maybe that's you this Christmas season. Everything is cheery. Everything is bright. Like you're pumped about your family coming over. Can't wait to see them. Like that's, that's me. I didn't, I didn't mean it to be funny. It just tells me the next application is going to be much more pertinent <laughs> to the crowd. Like, listen, for some people, Christmas is really happy. It's a great season to be with family and friends. It's a great season to delight in so many things to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, if, if it makes sense for you to rejoice, rejoice. Don't hold back. Let it go. Praise the Lord. Enjoy the season and rejoice. Third application is when it's illogical, rejoice anyway. When it is illogical to rejoice, rejoice anyway. And maybe that's you. And, and I, I want to I have a heart of sympathy and compassion Because I recognize in this room, there are many, I know this as a fact, there are many in this room for whom Christmas, maybe even particularly this Christmas, stinks. For a thousand reasons, they are not looking forward to next week. Because of loss, because of tension. finances, like for a thousand reasons, there are people who don't feel like rejoicing right now. Not, not, just, not just because of Christmas as a season. We've got, we've got brothers and sisters that are part of this body of Christ who are suffering big time right now. Physical struggles, relational struggles. There's not, you wouldn't look at their circumstance and say, they should smile. You wouldn't look at their circumstances and say they should be rejoicing. But listen, I want to tell you, if you find yourself in that circumstance, rejoice anyway. And I'm not saying just, just put on a smiley face. 
I'm saying through the tears, through the pain, rejoice anyway. The fact that those apostles walk out of being flogged and rejoice doesn't mean their backs weren't broken. Doesn't mean they weren't bleeding out. But in the midst of the pain, they found a deep-rooted joy in Christ. And that's what I want you to know at Christmas time. This deep-rooted joy that is in Christ that transcends circumstances. So as I have walked through some dark times recently and am walking through some dark times recently in some conversations with my friend Matt here, I've come up with kind of a a (laughs) three-word cycle or rhythm that, that I want to be experiencing in my life. Pain, promise, and perseverance. Like those are things that I'm having to preach to myself pretty often. There is real pain. And I want to be honest about the pain in my life. I don't want to hold it back. I don't want to act like that didn't hurt. You do not read in Acts chapter 5 that those guys took the beating from the council and said, that's all you got? It didn't even hurt. No, it says they left rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for his name. I want to be honest about the pain. Not sugarcoat it, not hold it back. Be honest about the pain. With myself, be honest. With the Lord, be honest. And with some trusted brothers, be honest. And I want to be ever mindful of the promise. The promises that the Lord has made to those he loves. To those he has redeemed. To those he has saved, is saving, and will save. I want to be ever mindful of those promises in the midst of my pain. So sometimes we say it like this. Pain, but promise Right? Let's not forget about the promise in the midst of the pain. Let's not let the pain take our focus off the promise. Let's, in the midst of the pain, see the promise, be ever mindful of the promises, and therefore persevere. There, there's got to be promise between pain and perseverance. You, you don't go straight from pain to perseverance. There has to be some promise, and that promise is ultimately rooted in Jesus in whom we find our peace with God, in whom we find our hope for a brighter eternity, in whom we find our joy. And therefore, we persevere. Right? Now, what I'm finding is that on any given day, I am more aware of one of these three things than the other. Like there are days when my life seems to be marked by pain. But that doesn't mean promise is gone, and that doesn't mean perseverance is out the window. And there are other days where my life seems to be marked by perseverance, almost to the point where it seems like the pain is gone, but it's not. So what I'm saying is our lives will be a constant flow between these three things, but all three of them need to be there. And Jesus is the source of the promises. He's the root of the promises. And we must never forget him. We're talking about deep-rooted joy in the midst of pain that helps us to persevere. It's because of Jesus. It's because of hope. We're going to watch a video. We're going to watch a video thir- Wednesday night up in the fellowship hall. Um, poem. It's a totally imaginary poem about the innkeeper, the the one who housed the holy family on the night Jesus was born, and the trouble he faced as a result of his connection with Jesus. 
And the, and the picture is that grown man Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified, stops in and has a conversation with the innkeeper and makes some promises to that man that cause him to endure. And I'm telling you, Jesus, uh, Jesus has promises for you that will help you endure. If you know him, if you love him, he's a deep joy that will sustain you in the midst of all your trouble. Let's stand together and pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, who is good news of great joy for all kinds of people. Pray for the men and women and boys and girls in this room who don't know you. I pray that you'll reach down and rescue them, give them repentance and faith, rescue and redeem them by your grace for your glory. For those who do know you, pray that you help us to be proclaiming good news of great joy to our neighbors and to the nations this Christmas. Help us to rejoice when, there's, when it's logical to rejoice. And help us to rejoice even when it's illogical. Even when our external circumstances seem dark and bleary, remind us of joy that is deep, deep in our hearts because of Christ. That we would rejoice anyway, through the tears, in the pain, that we would rest in your promises and persevere by your grace. Help us respond to your word today and as we leave this place in Christ's name.